1: Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: Hi, this is Ivy Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight... Senator Elizabeth Warren is the author of Pinky Promises. Elizabeth Warren has served as the United States Senator of Massachusetts since 2013. She is a former law professor and one of the nation's leading progressive voices. Elizabeth is the author of numerous books, including This Fight is Our Fight. She lives with her husband and their golden retriever in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Welcome, Senator Warren. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.
2: <laughs> Thank you. I'm delighted to be here because I remember being a mom who didn't have time to read books. Oh, well, there you
0: go. <laughs> so what did you do? How did you find time?
2: You know, I, I was one of those moms who read like by keeping books propped open on the kitchen counter. And so I would be stirring things on the stove. I have books. I guess people would be appalled by this, but you know, like had <laughs> Popped grease on it and pancake <laughs> batter, and because I kind of read all the time. I nursed both my baby bees. I'm that was, I think, one of the things I love best is I could read when I did that, I and would really tell myself it was okay to be reading. So, <laughs> yeah, so that that was what I did then. Now I'm a big Audible Books fan too. I listen, boy. When the plane is landing and they make you close your computer, good for me. I'm ready to read. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yep.
0: I, I like listening, you know, doing the laundry or like Exactly. My you know, car. The
2: laundry always to a book, exercise, driving. When I used yes, to commute sure. when I was driving, I am convinced that it was listening to books. Kept me from absolutely mowing down bad drivers and pounding them <laughs> into the highway. So it kept me a little more zen.
0: <laughs> My parents gave me like a box set of men are from Mars, women are from Venus, the cassettes. You remember? Uh-huh. Yeah, like, I remember? They were all like in the little, yep, black plastic.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had the cassettes. Oh, I still remember reading Nicholas and Alexandra. You know, this long, long, long history. Of you know, the Russian families and the Russian Revolution and, and what it meant for the monarchy to have the four daughters and then a son, but the son, it turned out, had hemophilia. And you know, I can still remember being on the highway listening <laughs> to
0: this. I am now totally embarrassed by admitting what I was listening to and in contrast to what you were listening no, to. No. But I also listen,
2: I <laughs> do not underestimate the value of trash. And I I say trash, and I mean that in a generous, loving way. Oh, I read all the assassin books. I'm totally into assassins. Maybe it says something about, you know, oh, oh, what it's like to be in Washington. And I read all of it. I like the crime detective stuff. And of course, I like lots of the fiction that goes on now. So no, no, no. Never be embarrassed about what you're reading. You're reading, you let yourself get into another world. Good for you.
0: And you've now, of course, written lots of books and have your first children's book, which yes. is You Promises, which, by the way, gave me the chills reading. And I am not oh. just saying that. It's so great. I got, oh my gosh, like the confidence, watching her confidence grow as the book goes on and knowing that she could do it. And I have two daughters and two sons. And just the message was so great. And I can't wait to like read and reread it to them. So.
2: Oh, I'm so glad to hear that because that really was the point of the book. It is about building confidence. It's about acknowledging what little girls hear about what girls can't do and who they hear it from. And then getting through that, as you notice, pretty fast. So we get a turnaround with a pinky promise from some unnamed presidential candidate. And then from that moment, having the little girl in this, Polly, internalize that. And each time she's in a, hmm, are you sure you can do this? This is a little scary. It's going to be a stretch here. That she's the one who squares her shoulder, holds up her pinky and says, yes, that she can do this because that's what girls do. And to me, that's the win, is that she builds up the confidence and she jumps in to one thing after another. And you notice in the book we never actually see whether she scores the goal or whether she wins the class presidency because ultimately that's, that's not what's so important. What's so important is that she took on something that was a little bit hard and a little bit scary, and she jumped in on her own, and that's, that's the success.
0: Yeah, you can't win if
2: you don't enter the race. That's right. That's exactly right. You don't get what you don't fight for. Yep, that's right.
0: <laughs> I could have come up with a few more of those too. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I read somewhere, maybe in People Magazine or something, that you actually like did a ga- like a
2: galley of it yourself. Is I that true? I did, <laughs> you know, with the photocopy paper. Well, I've never written a children's book before. And I knew from the first day, I knew what I wanted the book to say. I knew the the arc of the book, how, what the story that this book would tell. But I don't know how to write a children's book. All I do is know how to read children's books, because I read them when I was little. I read them when I was a mama. I read them when I was an auntie. I read them as a grandmother and read them over and over and over. And so I kept thinking, this is not like writing a grown-up's book, where I get lots and lots of words. they not going to be a lot of words in this book. There are words, but not not a ton. But it's how you have to think about the story so that you want to turn the page. And so, trying to get that rhythm down. So I, I wrote it up. You're going to laugh. <laughs> I wrote it up, kind of on my computer, two or three times till I thought, okay, here's the basic story, and I would break it. You know, page one, page two, page three, page four, and then I got photocopy paper you know, folded it over. It's like a big arts and crafts project on my kitchen table, stapled it all together and scissored out all the lines and taped them on to see if it worked. And by golly, I found out where it didn't. (laughs) And and had to, you know, readjust and rethink. But that was basically how I built it. And I kind of sketched in a couple of my... terrible, I can't draw, can't sing, can't draw, but at least sketched in an idea that she would be talking to, you know, the her uncle who would tell her about things girls can't do. And then what was so wonderful about doing this project is then the illustrator, Charlene, took over. Charlene Chua, who's a wonderful illustrator, and she took the words and just brought them to life. She just, when I was looking for the right illustrator, oh, I had a boxes and boxes of books, right? And I was also looking online at people's websites, and Charlene does girls. I mean, she does girls who are engaged and smart, not just adorable. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, ready to go and 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 just girls you know you like, and and girls you're not sure you want to cross, you know? Girls (laughs) Girls who eventually have some real determination. And so she was my number one choice, and she agreed to do it. We never even talked to anyone else. And she sent back, like, the first rough drawings, and it brought tears to my eyes to see the words now in the family of a picture book. Because... I had never understood about that kind of co-authorship. I've always written words. And now it's a words and pictures, words and pictures. And there's there's just there's so much heart and so much hope in the pictures combined with those words. Ugh. What a feeling! That's yeah. so amazing. I love it. I love, it. I love it. And and by the way, I don't know if you observe that when you were reading it. You know, there's an all picture story that runs through the background.
0: Oh no! Did I miss oh. something obvious? No, I'm always no. missing something oh, no. so obvious. Oh, I
2: didn't say it that way. It's, it's <laughs> Bailey, the burrito eating dog. Have you noticed? What a, I didn't. Notice. What a naughty boy he is in the background, over and over. So my hope is. I understand children's picture books. That's I remember what? him eating the he soccer do. ball. There you go. Yeah, there I saw go. him so eating the soccer ball. up on one. And remember when he knocks down the lamp? That's true. And he gets okay. a hold of the pipe, right? Over and over. And then there's that poster at the school, Wanted, the dog who ate the burrito. You know, so it's, <laughs> <laughs> but the fun about this, and I, I had told Charlene about this, that I wanted Bailey in it Not for words, but as a secondary story. Because I think of picture books as something you don't read once. You read them again and again and again and again and again, right? And that at some point in the third or the fifth or the ninth reading, the child you're reading this to will read it back to you. Mm -hmm. That is, will say, there's that Bailey. And the child gets to tell the story on her own. Oh, Bailey's being a bad boy. Or, oh, look what Bailey did. And and that that encourages the, the child to interact more with the book, that, that she owns that book as well. She doesn't just have to wait for the person who actually knows how to read to be able to take her through this book, that she has a little punch to put back into the book. You know, like I said, the book is all about Confidence. Persistence. And anyone can really be a storyteller. Yeah, You know, that's
0: yep. what you're really teaching her alongside uh-huh. her. And
2: I like that. That's your, a, that's a good way to put it, Sibby. That's right. That's well, right. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone can be a storyteller. Just let's nurture that. You can use that. You can Good. use that for the rest I'm, of I'm your interviews. To. Thank you. Okay. will no give problem. you credit. I'll send you 25 <laughs> cents every time I use it. No, I, that's great.
0: <laughs> I won't hold you to it. Okay. <laughs> Where did your Pinky Promises tradition come from? I mean, I know you do this all the time. Where did it start? How did you start doing it?
2: Well, it started when I was told what girls can't do. And that was in 2011. I had been in Washington after the financial crash, after i got gotten that consumer agency through I spent a year setting it up. But that was it. I was not going to be named director. I headed back to Massachusetts. We had a Republican senator in Massachusetts who was going to be up for re-election in 2012. And I got all these calls from people who said, you should run. And they would say, you should run. You will lose, but you should run. (laughs) Understand, they said to me, Massachusetts is not ready to elect a woman to the United States Senate. It's an old boys club. They'll let a woman be secretary of state, but that's it, girl. It's not going to happen, but you should run. Nobody's going to beat him, so don't worry about it. You should run. So I did get in the fight, and I thought about from the very first day, well, okay, I'm not going to win. At least I'm gonna make every day count and the way I decided to make every day count is every time I would meet a little girl I would drop down on one knee and I would say hi my name is Elizabeth and I'm running for Senate because that's what girls do and then we would do a pinky promise to remind each other what girls do and after a while, it took on its own life. So near the end, it's getting to be like September, October of 2012, you know, full year later after I'd gotten in the race. The, the election's coming up. It's nip and tuck. You know, I'm within striking distance. I'm down like a point or two. And people start showing up at our campaign headquarters, not also at the stops, but at our campaign headquarters, I remember going in on a Saturday morning, and there was just this entire room full of of daddies with little girls, little, little, little girls, and medium-sized girls, and teenage girls, and very senior girls, uh, (laughs) who wanted their pinky promises. And that was the origin of both the Pinky Promise and what became the selfie line. And so I actually ended up winning the Senate race. But years later, when I ran for re-election, six years later, I would have young women come up to me and they would say, Oh, I'm so excited to meet you. We did a pinky promise. When I was nine, when I was seven, here, here's my picture. Here you are with me and my little baby sister. Here we are. And I thought, you know, this is how you make things count. Yeah, I'm really glad I won. And it let me get into a lot of fights. Yep. And and look, and I wish I, you know, it would have been nice if I could have won the presidency. But I didn't. But I'm not sorry I got in the fight. I'm really glad that I got in there and had a chance to fight for the things I believe in. And it's the getting in that I wanted this, this book to be about. And how better to say thank you to all the little girls who kept me going because those pinky promises weren't just something I gave to them. They were, they were something we gave to each other. Ready to pop the question?
0: Oh, that's really sweet. I love that. I was, meanwhile, watching all these videos of you giving the pinky promises and, like, learning the backstory, and, meanwhile, in the back of my head, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, like, COVID in COVID times, these pinky promises, I was, like, cringing inside, like, I hope they're okay, you know? I know.
2: I know. And, you know, I wrote this when, literally, I could not touch a child, You know, I wrote this right in the middle of COVID, long before we got the vaccine. I'm going back and forth with Charlene as we're illustrating. And it was was almost as if it intensified the feelings around it. When I wrote this book, I didn't know when we were going to have a vaccine. I didn't know when I would be able to see in person my own two granddaughters. You know, it. So Polly, the little girl in this, becomes in some way, she's my substitute. She's my she's where I poured all those pinky promises for a year and a half. But but you are right. In the days of COVID, this is all this is all different. And we gotta get this behind us.
0: What is gonna happen with Polly? Are there more books coming? Do we get to follow her narrative a little further?
2: Right now, obviously, what I'm really doing is is totally focused on wanting a lot of people to meet Polly, and, and frankly, people will tell me if people love Polly and are interested in hearing more from Polly, but I will confess to you, Zivi, there are times late at night when I'm about to go to sleep and I think about the next thing that happens in Polly's story, so,
0: so we will see, we will see. I feel like there needs to be a whole thing. Yep. And then at the end, I want her giving the pinky promise. That, like, I want this going on and on. I need the whole oh,
2: the circle. Thing. That's the right. Circle. I like that. I like that, Cindy. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm going to, we're going to, we're going to keep working on this. Okay. Good. Good.
0: <laughs> I mean, you do Good. have a few other things, I'm sure, on your to do list, right? You know, you know. But
2: this was never, this was never a burden, not even a little bit. Because, like I said, it was, It was the fact that I got to do this and got to think very much about very specific little girls that I did those promises with. It was like a way to revisit them and the experience, not just of doing the Pinky Promises to begin with, but writing the book to memorialize the Pinky Promises, to to kind of have something tangible to keep around the Pinky Promises. I feel grateful to have had that opportunity. It's a good one.
0: Well, I think especially for someone who reaches so many people in your work, right? You're constantly out there showing these intimate connections. I mean, really, that's how change right. happens. That's how connections happen, is this these one-on-one moments. Mm-hmm. And that's and then they build over time. So like I just love the whole story. I just uh,
2: good. I'm so glad. You know, and it is interesting. This comes exactly at the moment in Washington when we're talking about making for the first time a real investment in child care and raising the wages of our child care workers and preschool teachers so that we acknowledge the importance of the work we do and making universal pre-case something that, that we believe in as a nation for our children. You know, those are big deals and yeah. very much, of course, the fight that I'm in right now. My dad thinks that teachers shouldn't be
0: taxed. They shouldn't hey, have to pay tax. Your
2: dad may be onto something. We should take a look at this. You should. But it really is. The importance, you know, I was a public school teacher way back at the beginning for me. This is, it was my dream from second grade. I wanted to be a public school teacher and nobody in my family had gone to college. You know, my dad, my daddy ended up as a janitor. My mom worked a minimum wage job at Sears answering the phones College just didn't look like it was there for me, and a whole series of things had to unfold. And ultimately, I graduated from a commuter college that cost $50 a semester. And I got to teach special ed, and I loved it. And then I got pregnant and got pushed out of the job because that's the way the world worked then. And so I I think of how grateful I am for the doors that were open for me, college that you could pay for on a part-time waitressing job, not here today. Pregnancy discrimination, worse back then, but still here today. And how that's very much shaped many of the fights that I'm in. I think that the importance of expanding opportunity for women for people of color, for people with disabilities, I think that that's just we can't overstate why letting everyone get a chance to be in the fights that they want to be in, to be able to make the contributions they want to make to me that's that's what real progress means for a nation. Um, that we expand opportunity like that, then we become more like the nation that I think we want to be. So that's why I stay in these fights for little girls and big girls and their brothers and their daddies and their uncles and all of them. It's too bad it has to be a
0: fight at all. I know. Yeah. I, know. <laughs> I know. What advice would you have for aspiring authors?
2: Oh, know for sure what you want to say. Coming in and just mumbling around, you're going to have a hard time. I mean, it's going to be a very painful process. I know because Pinky Promises, I think it's my 13th book. Now, remember, I've written all kinds of books. Persist came out last spring, which is my latest, actually talking about being a teacher and a mother, being a woman in politics and policy. But also I've written case books in law. That's where I actually started because I was a law professor. But I think it's really important to know what you're trying to do. And the second part is for me, I have to get my audience very clearly in mind. Every day that I worked on Pinky Promises, I saw a grown up, maybe a grandma, maybe an auntie, maybe a daddy, with an arm around a child, usually a girl. And they were sitting together reading this book. And they are the two people I'm talking to. And I think that if you keep the audience in mind the same way with my first book, it was a law class. And I knew what what those students looked like. And it's true for my second and third books. Then it becomes almost like a conversation. It's almost like either talking to each other or, or like sending each other Notes And in the case of a children's book, like I said earlier, because the words are, are so much smaller than the books I usually write, it's almost like sending love notes to someone. But that, that would be my advice. Know what you want to say and know exactly who you want to say it to.
0: I love that. It's so great. Yeah. You never know who you're going to reach. Oh. And as long as you get your message across, it's pretty awesome. Anyway, I will be that. I will be your target audience okay, tonight. Good. I'll be reading this to my kids many times. It'll be great. It'll oh, be great. good. <laughs> and let me know how it works. Yeah. They're much let more me important know. than me. Yeah, for sure. Hands down. And I guarantee you they will notice the dog subplot uh, immediately. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's great. And they may not on the first time through, because, you know, there's a lot going on in those pictures. And lots of great color. Yeah. But I, I suspect they will find Bailey. Tell me if they found Bailey faster than you did in terms of how he's a, a recurring background theme. Will do. And <laughs> and Holly's sidekick. <laughs> All right.
0: Well, thank you so much. Thank you for coming on, Senator Warren. This is such a pleasure. And oh, thank you. Really,
2: really it's so great. good to be here with you. Nothing's more fun <laughs> than talking about books, especially the books we get to read to our children. Hey, totally agree. <laughs> All
0: thank right. you. Have a great day. Thanks for everything. Thanks, okay. Bye uh-huh. bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.